morning's message as we're continuing on kind of in the theme that I kind of switched midstream here a little bit, no pun intended. Um, we're, we're looking at the women in the Bible, and today is no different. We're, we're going to look at a particular woman who is very, very significant, and, and maybe you haven't seen as much of her significance as I hadn't until you really start um, digging down deep into it. And I'm sure you probably have heard the story if you've been around church at all. And I was, someone asked me last night, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? So I started telling them about it. And they, they kind of finished some of the punchline that you would know of the story. And, and it's the woman that was caught in adultery. And I, I've preached this so many times that I'm not going to go deep into that. But just as a refresher, you know, Jesus is stirring up the apple cart. He's got it all messed up for all the religious people, and they just cannot stand him. They can't, they got to figure out a way to take him out. So they're trying all these things. They're trying to trick him up, and he just keeps, of course, he's God, you know, so he just keeps defeating all the little things that they pop up and prop up trying to get, he just knocks them flat. So they're like, okay, we're going to try this. So they catch this woman I believe you know in town who's the woman that you can get that you can, um, yeah. So they caught this woman in the very act of adultery. It says in the very act, and I'm not going to go, I'm so tempted because it's my favorite message in the Bible of God's love and grace. But they, they brought her, and Jesus is in church, and he's just up teaching, and in the middle of it, they take this woman that I believe was either naked or very close, and they threw her down. They're making this big, big scene, and they said, the law of Moses says she's supposed to be stoned to death. And if, if you've heard me tell the story as I'm practically retelling it again now, um, she in that culture would have seen other people stoned to death. So she knows what's coming and it would be a very fearful thing if you could imagine uh, the, the impact of this whole thing. And Jesus, as I'm telling the story last night to my friend, she says, oh, he without sin, throw. I said, yeah, 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 that's the story. Jesus wrote on the ground, and that's not the whole purpose of this, but that's the story. This is the woman, and we believe it was Mary. Obviously not the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene. And, and it, she had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. She's expecting to die expecting this is it. Uh, undoubtedly, adrenaline is pumping, and she's got tunnel vision, and she can't see anything. I believe she's probably in the fetal position, and, and she's just prepared for that, that blow when it's going to start, and this is it. Today's the day I die. And Jesus wrote on the ground, and everybody left, and he came and says, woman, who's her, where's your accusers? She says, none, Lord. This is the same woman that we now see in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, this was the week leading up to Passover. So this is the same week that we're now in because Passover is next Saturday, and we celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday next Sunday. And so this is happening all in the same week that we're in now. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city, see, this is the same one that we were just talking about her, and they're still looking at her and her past where she was. They're still putting her in this box. I'm getting ahead of myself. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt 
behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now I want you to think about this life that was changed. This woman who was facing sheer death. I mean, there's no way out of this. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, everybody knows who the top law people are and who the top Pharisees are and who the top people in the in the in the uh, temple were there and they knew who was the person you know and they walked around with their big gowns and they're flowing everybody knew where they were like oh my gosh we know that and that's who comes in and catches you having adultery and they drag you out and bring you in and say we're gonna throw we're gonna stone you to death this is it and she encounters Jesus she hears he's having dinner at someone else's house She's got to come. And that, that overcoming sense of gratitude. Of this life that was certainly she deserved to die. Has now been given back to her. And that moment that she is just there worshiping Jesus at his feet. Just so thankful. Tears are just flowing down weeping. She kept kissing his feet and pouring the perfume on it. But when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, so this is all in his mind, if, notice I I highlighted if, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. See, he still got her in that box that everybody knows who she is because everyone has seen her on the street, on that corner, much like the the message from last week. She's that woman. If Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman, what kind of woman that is that's touching him. In other words, if you really knew who she was, you wouldn't let her in your presence. But the crazy thing as I was looking at this is Jesus did know who she was. He had just encountered this thing with her and this whole change in her life. When he's in the middle of preaching, they bring her in and throw her down and make this huge thing. Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew who she was anyway, but Jesus was very well acquainted. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around a prophet? Have you ever been around somebody that hears from God? You think about all of your sins and you're like, God, please, I'm going I'm to repent, God, now of everything I've ever sinned. Please don't tell that man of God my sins and please don't let him call me out. I mean, you don't want that spotlight of God like shining down on you. And yet how arrogant he is in thinking. If he was really a prophet, he would know who she was. If he was really a prophet, he's going to see who you are. None of us want to have that spotlight from heaven go on us and say, I'm perfect. I haven't ever sinned. You're just like, ah. And yet that's where he's putting her. He goes on and says, she's a sinner. Isn't that amazing? We're all sinners. We all are in need of a savior. I love this. Verse 40. Jesus answered his thoughts. Isn't that crazy? Jesus answered his thoughts. So Jesus is the prophet. Jesus 
is seeing all of his sins. He knows her sins. He knows she's forgiven. He knows everything. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Now, that, wouldn't that be kind of crazy that, you know, you have this thought and Jesus is right there and then he starts answering you on what you're thinking? I mean, that's just, that's comical to me. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. I'm sure he, he no idea that Jesus just read his thoughts and read his mind. That would come in really good at my house because I need to read my wife's mind way better than I do. But anyway, I digress. He goes, something, I, have, I have something to ask you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman. Remember, he read his thoughts, and now he's, he's given him this, this parable. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and have wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time she first, I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the common courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with this rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. See, Jesus never says that the sins of this woman weren't significant. He's not saying that they're, oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. Have you ever had somebody offend you and you're like, oh, it was nothing. It was something. Someone lies to you. They hurt you. Like, oh, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. No, it wasn't nothing. Though they were many, they've been forgiven. Though they were many, So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to see the difference in the tenses in here. On the previous verse it says, her sins have been forgiven. In the past. That was when she was brought down and thrown in front of him. And she's in this place saying she's about to die. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Her sins were forgiven. Now she's here. He's telling her again, your sins are forgiven. A different perspective of this is in the same story as in Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 3. Meanwhile, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy, one of the people Jesus had healed... While he was eating, a woman came with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money could have been given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. So we see another perspective of this story. So we've got Simon the guy who invited Jesus to his house, he's judging her like if he knew who she was, she's a sinner. And then we've got the disciples over here going, man, why is she wasting that? Can you imagine thinking of wasting anything on Jesus? And then they scolded her harshly. Like, woman, get out of here. Come on. You're you're causing a scene. But Jesus replied, 
leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. Look at this. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. She's done what she could. Now, isn't that all of us? I can't do what you can do, and you may not be able to do what I can do, but are we doing what we could for God? Are we doing what we can give to Jesus, that thing that he's entrusted with us? She had this, probably because of her occupation. She had the money to afford expensive perfume that was rare, Jesus even said. It's a rare perfume. She had the money to afford that. And it says that she broke it open, so it was brand new. It had never been opened before. And another place says it was 12 ounces of of, of perfume that she poured out on him. Uh, and the clone that I use has 3.4 ounces and it will last me for a really long time. It'll last me almost a, a half a year. Can you imagine 12 ounces poured out at one time on Jesus, on his head and on his, on his feet and, and just all over him. It's just covered him all over. And Jesus says, verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about her. But look, everybody was criticizing Mary, this woman who came in here, and all she wanted to do was just worship Jesus. And she's broken and she's crying and her tears are mixing with the oil and the perfume. And it's just this thing she's pouring out. She's not just pouring out perfume. She's pouring out her life. She's pouring out everything from her. The guy's saying, if you only knew she's a sinner, the disciples over here are going, what a waste. But Jesus was silent until he said, leave her alone. But I ask you a couple of things. What was that perfume used for? I want you to do some sanctified reasoning here. I want you to think about this. Because everybody in town knew Mary. Everybody knew her from being on the street. She's a streetwalker. She's the one that was caught in adultery. and She's the one, if you really are looking for that thing, she's the one. Everybody knew her. She's walking into this house when she heard Jesus was there. And she was risking everything. She's risking her reputation. She's, repre- she's risking being judged. And people like, oh, what is she doing here? And all of this thing. And Jesus has already been accused so many times of just hanging out with sinners. And here he is doing this. And he's eating with them. And here she comes thinking. And most of the time, it wasn't even appropriate for the woman to be around men when they're eating. Or they're supposed to be separated. All this stuff. So here she comes and she's risking everything, but she loves Jesus. See, she has a reputation as a streetwalker, as a prostitute. She came as she was with her reputation, with her dirty mouth, with her dirty past, with her bad habits. We should come to Jesus as we are, not as how we think we should be. And so many times, people who I talk to, they're like, well, if I come to your church, you know, the water's going to boil, there's going to be lightning strikes. I'm like, you don't understand God. What's your idea in this concept of God has nothing to do with reality. They see a, a prostitute can be told by God, as we saw last week, by the man of God to go marry her. Or she can be brought in and she deserved death. 
Jesus says, go and sin no more. When she comes in to, to, to worship Jesus and thank him for what he gave her, he says, let her be. He doesn't say like so many of us would say, okay, well, that, you were forgiven, but you kind of need to go into the other side and like fade into the darkness. You don't need to be, you know, just kind of like let, let your reputation just kind of heal a little bit. No, he says, come as you are. How do you think you should be before you come to Christ? Do you think you got to fix your life? That you got to have it all together before you can come to Jesus? I want you to think about this. Who wants, while you're eating, for somebody to come and open up a thing of perfume and start spreading that fragrance? Can you imagine? Now, as I said, mine's 3.4, and it's like this big, and, and, and it'll last me for a long time, and it's very strong when, when I, whenever I put it on. But can you imagine if, if you just crack that thing open and you pour out all 12 ounces? Think about Chanel, that you open it up, and it just fills the room. And, and while you're eating, do you want that kind of a atmosphere in there? It's, it's like nobody wants that. Yes, she opened that up and poured that out. We see that it was a jar worth a year's wages. I, I had an opportunity when we were still living in Florida. I was, it was a, a spiritual oversight for a, a dance group. They're a parachurch organization, a group of ladies, and they did beautiful enactments of, you know, different songs, and, you know, it's just beautiful to watch them, and they asked me to come and do a devotion for them, so we were at the local Christian bookstore, and they had this little meeting room that we're in there, it's about the size of a quarter of this room, and I'm in there, and I'm teaching them this story about the woman, and I was telling them that when you're out there, you pour out all that God has given you, and everything he's entrusted in you, and I, and I had a, a, a thing of oil, now, this is so small, it, it's really not big at all. And I can't read how many ounces are in here, but there's not many. And I opened it up as a brand new one, and I, ha- I had them all hold their hands out. And I just poured some in each one of their hands. I think there was like nine or ten or something of them. And I poured the whole thing out between all of them. And said, so now I don't, I want you to just rub it on your hands. Just think about where she poured this out. Now, we're in the room, and it didn't make this, this big impact in the room you can smell it a little bit in the room and it's you know it's a beautiful holy oil from israel and you got the fragrances and it was that there was the nard it was the exact one and you know i did this whole thing but then someone else taught after me and i went out to to check on something and i came back in and as soon as i opened that door the fragrance of that just hit me in the face and i almost started weeping because i realized something about this story i'd never seen before you see, that fragrance was so strong, and it filled the room. It also was on her. She's using her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. So she walked out with some of that anointing from Jesus on her, and wherever she went is like, wow, that's a wonderful smell. Where is that coming from? What, what is that? that? That's kind of strong, but wow. What? And it gave her an opportunity to relive that moment and to retell that story. But it impacted everybody by her gift that she poured out. Yeah, it was worth a year's wages. But can I ask you something? Let's do a little sanctified reasoning. Imagine her previous job. Her life 
undoubtedly acquired a smell. And she's walking around on the streets, not in air conditioning. And, and walking around in places that she doesn't belong, and she's there for a long time. It's probably a little bit nasty, kind of a little grody, kind of a little ugh. So what would really good, expensive perfume do? It would cover up that original stench of where she was and where she had been. And make it like she'd never been there because it it masks it so that that's what you smell instead. It's a cover-up. See, she didn't just give a year's wages. She gave her cover up. She gave what she was hiding behind. But she didn't know she was anointing Jesus' body for burial. She just knew that she had so much gratitude in her heart for the life that was changed by Jesus. She had to do something. The disciples couldn't even have understood or know what was about to happen. He's trying to tell them what's happening this week and what's going to happen next week. And they're like, we don't understand. She just knew that she had met a man who had saved her. Remember that moment when she's there in the temple and they're wanting to kill her? They're wanting to make an example out of her. They set this whole thing up and Jesus rescued her. Also in that week, this happened several days before, a couple of days closer, Jesus took time to be with his disciples to participate in the Passover. So we're like leading right up to Passover And Passover for them was from Exodus. It was from Moses and the children of Israel. And this whole thing that's been passed down. And and thousands of people, probably millions of people throughout the entire world will be celebrating the same exact process with the Seder this Saturday. But Passover went from being this thing, a ritual that you did, to now communion. Like we will have Friday night here for Good Friday. John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus is there with his disciples. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father, but he loved his disciples during his ministry, and now he loved them to the very end. There's so much here. I I really, I could do the entire message on that one part of that scripture. But it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. Verse 3, now Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God and would return to God. And I highlighted these things because I want you to see that Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus knew that he had been given this authority from God. He was fully vested in his identity. He fully knew his purpose. He had discovered his purpose, and he's stepping into making a difference. And he knew that he'd come from God, And he knew he was about to return to God. He knew what was about to happen. And as bad as it was, he knew he was going to get through that to his father. Where he would return to God. So, verse 4, he got up from the table and took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. And they began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Now, this has never happened. This is not normal. This is completely the breaking it all up and just like whoa what's going on here and when he came to simon peter peter said to him lord are you going to wash my feet jesus said you don't understand now what i'm doing but someday you will and can i just tell you just pause that right now we're still here 
When we say surrender your life to God, when we say will you give your heart to the Lord, if you've not been raised in church, that sounds foreign. You don't understand that. It's like, what is the stuff you're talking about? I don't understand that. But can I just tell you that same statement by Jesus is still true today. You don't understand now, but you will. Verse 8. No, Peter protests. You will never wash my feet, Jesus replied. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Think about that. Unless Jesus washes you, you won't belong to him. Our flyer that we have to give out to people says you are made to belong. You are created by God to belong to him. But unless Jesus washes you, you'll never belong. So Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. He missed the whole thing. It's not just about getting some water over your feet or your head or anything. It's about being washed by Jesus. Jesus was showing us that we all have areas that we need to be washed. There's areas that need to be cleaned. Last week, we looked at an analogy that God gave us, a life analogy of, of this, the situation of Israel. It has lived out in front of them where, where they were trying to hear words of God saying, hey, I need you to repent. I need you to not chase after these false idols. I need you to not just turn your back from me. He's using all these words, and it wasn't working, just like we don't listen to God very often as well. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a life example here. Now we see Jesus coming in in a life example as well. And his last act with his disciples was the same thing. He was about to go to the cross to pay for our sins. We sing songs about the blood of Jesus. We're washed by the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. But if we're honest, we don't understand that. That sounds crazy. If you try and tell somebody who's never been in church, you're gonna, would you come to church with me? You're going to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're like, what in the world kind of church do you go to? But Jesus gave us this great analogy. We need to be washed. But can I tell you what the... the the atmosphere was like for them. They walked around in sandals. They didn't have nice Nikes that they could wear or nice dress shoes that they could walk around in and socks and all this stuff. So their feet were exposed to all this stuff. So as they're walking, camels had walked before them, cows had walked before them, sheep had walked before them. And the, the things that they have that are the byproducts of animals and livestock are dropping out and they're stepping in poop all the time. So as they're walking, they've got dust, they've got dung, they've got all this stuff. So when they walked into a house and they're ready to sit down and eat, it was the custom for them to wash their feet. And they generally had a servant who was there, that that was his job, to wash the feet, to, to kind of clean it up. Because, you know, from the knees up, you're all right. But that part that comes in contact with the world, that part that comes in contact with just the yuck, the dirty that's around us. Jesus says, you neglected to do that when I came in. And here she is with her tears wiping my feet. Then he's with the disciples. He says, you need that I wash you. Can I tell you that we're no different? Don't we still end up with poop on us that we carry around? Don't we get dirt on us from living in the world that we live in? Don't we let all of the yuck 
of people around us kind of pull us down. We still need to be washed by Jesus. It may be difficult to understand that God sent Jesus to pay for my sins so I don't have to. Sometimes it's just easier to understand that Jesus came to wash you and to help wash all of that yuck away. Can you see Jesus as a man holding a towel in the basin and washing feet? What a visual. Jesus was washed by the tears of Mary. Her heart was overflowing with gratitude, thankfulness. And she stayed with Jesus, and he was the one that the angel addressed when Jesus rose from the dead. She didn't go anywhere. After that moment when she was thrown, she was introduced to Jesus in the worst of circumstances. She says, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I hear you're over here eating. I'm just going to show up, and I'm just going to give a gift to you. I don't understand he was crucified and I I saw it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to be there to plant some flowers around the tomb that he's at. And she shows up there and the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? She had this transformation happen in her that now she's one of the focal points in all of this story. So today I ask you, Where do you find yourself? Have you been washed by Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? I want to encourage you today. If you feel far from God, if you feel like you don't belong, you can invite him in today. He can bring life to you. If you close your eyes and bow your heads. The same Jesus that walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus that had Mary come and wash his feet. And he turns around and washes his disciples' feet. And he says, you need to be washed by me. He's still standing there today saying, you need to be washed by me. It really doesn't matter where you're at in this process. You come as you are. Not how you think you should be. You come broken. You come with all of the dirt that has been in your life. If that's you, I simply want you to say this prayer with me. Wherever you find yourself, it doesn't matter if you're saying it today for the first time or it's another time. All you have to do is just choose walk on this path with God. Say this with me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life, my hope, my future. I come just as I am and I trust in you to reveal to me every step from today forward and the best way I know how I'm going to live for you with all my heart today I give you my life Father I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer today for the first time or uh, uh, again 
Maybe it's the 500th time. It doesn't matter, God, that you love that we keep coming back to you. Lord, we need to be washed by you. So, Lord, as we enter into this week that's leading up to Good Friday when you were crucified, that leads up to Sunday when you rose from the dead. As we celebrate Easter and Resurrection Sunday, God, we thank you for the gift that you gave. And Lord, when I don't even understand it all, and I do my best, even when I don't understand you, you you have so much there for us. God, I pray for all of us that we will receive the washing of your word, that we'll receive the analogy that you've given from last week and this week. It doesn't matter where we're at. You love us. We're all in great need of a Savior. Lord, I give you all this time. I give you this message. In Jesus' name I pray.